was so good. Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to our Resurrection Sunday here in the Towers, and it is the most exciting place to be, I reckon. And uh, can I have an amen? What about an amen? Thank you. I am encouraged to see uh, people, mums and dads and their children, putting God first in their lives. And there's a great scripture with that. It says, Matthew 6.33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. When you prioritise God, you can be sure that the rest of your life will be in its right order. And much is said about tithing of our finances and the setting apart of our... But the setting apart of our time as an offering to the Lord, it's a great indication of the heart of the giver connected to the gift. Amen? When giving a gift to God, it's great that your heart be totally connected with it. It's not an obligation. It's just a sheer joy to do that. So on Friday, we looked at Calvary's cross and, and Jesus, our Passover lamb. And uh, almost 3,500 years ago, the first Passover was instituted. And uh, on the night before the children of Israel uh, left the bondages and slavehood of Egypt, they were instructed in Exodus chapter 12 by God through Moses, and they were to take a lamb for a house without blemish and put its blood on the doorpost and the lintel of their homes. And they were to eat of the roasted lamb, and they were to eat it with bitter herbs, reminding them of their bitter bondage in being Egypt for some 430 years, says the book of Acts. And the night, that very night, there was an angel of death, and it passed over their homes. Subsequently, we get the name Passover from that, from that time. And the angel of death struck the firstborn of the Egyptians, or any household where there was no blood. And so judgment came. And the Bible says in Exodus chapter 12 and verse 13, I'm just going over a little bit of material to set the scene from Friday. And uh, it says, and this is God, He says, Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So two points here to remember, and it was, and when God sees the blood... It's not when he sees our good deeds, not when he sees our morals or our ethics or our manners or our politeness or even our fastings or our prayers, but when God sees the blood, amen. And that's the typology of us today, when God sees the blood. And the other thing, the major point in that verse and even that chapter, and he says, and he says, oh, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And he says, now the blood shall be a sign on your houses where you are. So you don't have to be in a special place on this mountain or that mountain as they were in Jerusalem. This is the place where you should worship, said the Samaritan woman. But God can meet you exactly where you are. And a lot of people think they've got to clean up their lives beforehand, before coming to God. But God reminds us, when you accept Christ, God says, when I see the blood, I will pass over your house. And so... Um, and that day brought about a national redemption for the Hebrew people. The whole of the nation was redeemed that very, very night. And so the Hebrew or the Jewish people, they have been celebrating Passover now for some 3,500 years. The Jewish people are the most meticulous people on the face of the planet. 
and they would not have missed one Passover from their first Passover in Moses' day when they, the night before they came out of Egypt to this very day. And so that day brought about a national redemption. Moses prophesied in Deuteronomy 8.15, 8, 18, he said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst and from your brethren, him you shall hear. And he was prophesying that although he was a redeemer, there would be called one who was the redeemer, amen? Christ the redeemer. And um, there are, have been over, and there are over 456 prophecies in this Old Testament. Amazing, isn't it? 39 chapters in the Old Testament, some 456 and possibly more prophecies pointing to the deliverer, not just of a tribe, not just of a nation, but one who would in fact be a deliverer to all the tribes and all the nations and all the peoples of the earth. And this is fulfilled in only one person, the man Christ Jesus. For one person to fulfill one or two or three of these prophecies, the odds are incredibly immense. But for one person to fulfill 456 prophecies, it's outside human uh, reasoning. And so Jesus said of himself from the outset of his earthly ministry, because he was the fulfillment of all Old Testament prophecy, all Old Testament prophecy points to the man Christ Jesus, and Jesus fulfilled all that prophecy. And Jesus introduced himself in the beginning of his ministry, in John 3.16, probably the most known verse of the whole Bible, Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever, that means there's nobody that's exempt. Are there any whosoever's in the room this morning? Oh, I'm a whosoever. I'm a whosoever. That whoever believes in him would not perish, but, have, but has everlasting life. Who likes the sound of everlasting life? Amen. Who likes the sound of eternal life? It's good stuff. It's a radical gospel, and that's why you think, well, that's why Jeff preaches radically, because it's a radical message. It's a radical message. He goes on to say, Jesus speaking, for God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Would you be saved? There are people here today, and you need to give your life to Jesus Christ. And so, there was a law of God that predated time, and the law was that the innocent would suffer for and on behalf of the guilty so that the guilty could go free. And so in that first Passover, there was a beautiful lamb, but that lamb was totally innocent and totally without blemish, as all offerings to God should be. Our tithes and offerings to God should be without blemish. And so, but that beautiful lamb was, without, was innocent. It was without sin, and yet it died for and on behalf of the guilty so that the guilty could go free. You see, the innocent paves the way. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, and Paul writes it this way. He says, for Christ, our Passover was sacrificed for us. He was speaking to a people who had already been celebrating Passover for 1,500 years. So everybody knew what Passover was. And he said in 1 Corinthians, for Christ was our Passover, our sacrifice for us. Christ was the sinless, he was the spotless, and he was without blemish. He lived a sinless life, but he became a willing sacrifice. Willingly, he laid down his life. 
In the communion message, we heard that he laid down his life. It wasn't taken from him, as we know that those, those uh, heavy-weighted, uh, rough nails driven through his hands, his feet, uh, they didn't hold Christ to that cross. It was his love. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for you and I. And so for believers in Christ... Every day is a day to remember the cross. Amen? And some people go to church once or twice a year. And, and, uh, but for a believer in Christ, a, a disciple of Christ, and there's massive difference between just being a believer and being a disciple. And the Bible calls the church to make disciples of all men. Amen? And so not just to have an altar call and people respond to an altar call and go and live their lives the same way that they walked in. That is not the case. People need to come and be discipled, learn how to pray, learn how to read the word, come together to worship, be part of a, a body of Christ, of believers, fellowship, an incredible part of what we do here. And so for believers in Christ, every day is a, a day to remember the cross. Every day to us is a resurrection Sunday, amen? I wake up on a Monday morning, but it's still a resurrection Sunday. Jesus Christ is alive and well, Amen. It doesn't matter what day of the week to me, it's Resurrection Sunday, amen? Jill says, what day is it? I said, it's Resurrection Sunday. <laughs> it's great stuff, isn't it? It's good stuff. And uh, every day, every day is exactly that. So, but who is this man, Jesus, and what is all the fuss? Many in this absolutely biblically illiterate age in which we live must be scratching their head. They, some people think that Jesus was Noah's brother and uh, Paul's cousin, and uh, Adam's nephew. They've got absolutely no idea. We live in a biblically illiterate age. But, in a, in, but I believe that like in 1948, and when every religion in China became illegal, it washed the whole land of every religion. But when the doors came open, and the light of God came into China, was only within a few years that the largest church in all the earth is in China. 50 to 100,000 people today come to faith in Christ in the land called China. Amazing, because they come without baggage. And the devil is always overplaying his hand. And the day that they make the Bible illegal in Australia will be an amazing day, because in the average, Aussie says, you're not going to stop me from reading it. <laughs> it's going to be an incredible thing when Bibles and churches perhaps are closed or forced to close through legislation and hate crimes and so forth. But it's an amazing thing. But here today, we not only remember, but without apology, without fear, without timidity, we boldly proclaim the most powerful moment in history when against all the powers of hell, all the powers of hell, Jesus was raised from the dead and defeated death, hell, and the grave. Oh, that's the most powerful moment in all history. As all the powers of hell opposed it, and yet Jesus Christ was risen from the dead, amen? Is there something in your life that you need raised from the dead? Christ within you, the hope of glory. God can do it. He's done it in the past and he can do it again. Jesus the same yesterday, today and forever. He's not changed. I am the Lord your God and I change not. But Jesus was raised from the dead and in the process, imparting that same resurrection life to them that believe in his name. Is there anybody here that believes in the name of Jesus this morning? Well, resurrection life is your portion. Resurrection life is part of now your DNA. 
Peter preached his first message. This is pitiful Peter, the one who denied Christ. Oh, there's a church named over there in Israel, and it's called the Cockroad. Three times Peter denied Jesus. I've been to that church, and down beneath that church is the water cisterns where Jesus was Caiaphas' house. And there in that damp and dark cistern made of limestone, Jesus was kept till dawn, till he was brought before trial to Pilate. But Peter preached this amazing message after the power of the Holy Ghost came upon him. And he says, For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Oh, and that resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead, when you receive Christ into your life, that resurrection power is now yours. Sometimes we live like we don't even know that it's there. It's like a blank check, uncashed. I pray the resurrection power of God will be the most, most thing that you utilize in your life. But I'd like to read from 1 Corinthians 15, if you would. I can find it in my Bible right now. Just before I kick off on there, there's a great statement of faith in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 3. And uh, it's good to have a statement of what you believe in. But here is, in a nutshell, the whole of the Christian faith. This is Paul speaking. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. What Scriptures is he referring to? He's referring to Old Testament Scriptures. And that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And see, they searched the Scriptures daily in the book of Acts. What did they search? They searched the Old Testament to see that Christ is the person who he said he was, the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. And verse 5, And then he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that he was seen by five hundred. You see, that's historical fact. You can read the book of Josephus, an official historical document, a massive book, about three times bigger than the Bible. And there it is, historically written, as other historians have also written of whom the greater part remain at the present, but some have fallen asleep. In the Bible, that means have died. After that, he was seen by James, then all by the apostles. This is after Jesus' death. Then the last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. When did Paul see Jesus alive? He saw him on the road to Damascus. He was knocked to the ground. Scales fell from his eyes. Remember that, remember that scene? And he saw the risen Christ. That's what we're talking about there. Paul said that if Christ did not rise from the dead, let's go to 1 Corinthians 15, 12, and I'll read just a couple of verses there. The, uh, the, uh, the text notes there is, the risen Christ is our hope. Now, verse 12, now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? Heresies is not a new thing. From the very, very outset, there have been heretical teachings. And Paul always brought the churches into line. Wasn't an easy job to do. And, uh, but he says, if there is no resurrection from the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Our faith is based upon the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, I'm wasting my time. I may as well go to a CWA meeting if they'll let me in. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up. In fact, the dead do not rise. 
For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ, in Christ have perished. If in this life only we may have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiful. Pitiful. What Paul was saying then, if Christ didn't rise from the dead, we, the Christian community, is the most pitiful group of people in all the earth. We are to be pitied. If Christ didn't raise from the dead, what are we on about? The fact that he rose from the dead gives our faith absolute substance. And you must know, some people say, oh, I believe in Jesus. He was a great teacher. He was a great theologian. Seemed like a good bloke. A bloke like Gandhi, I suppose. Hey, Gandhi said, I'm all Muslim, I'm all Shinto, I'm all this and I'm all that. I'm all Christian. He should have added to it, I am all illogical. Because when you, if you're a Christian, that's all you can be, amen? You can only be a believer in Jesus Christ to the exclusion of every other God, for there is only one God and one person and one Holy Ghost, amen? One person of Jesus Christ. That's all there is. Oh, it's a great message, isn't it? It's a great message. Paul said that if Christ didn't raise from the dead, then we are not raised and we are the most pitiable. The Christian faith is built on the bedrock of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's some people in here and they've given their life to Jesus in this recent times. But the bedrock of your faith, the bedrock of your belief is that Jesus Christ is risen and that he's now Christ within me is the hope of glory. And the Christian faith is built on that absolute bedrock. Our lives and our church is a testament. This building here is a testament to the fact that Jesus is the living God. We are individually and corporately a pile, the, the Bible refers to us as living stones, on the banks of the Jordan that testify that we have crossed over from death unto life. My question to you today is, have you crossed over from death unto life? For most people, there is a defining point in time when you make a very, very conscious decision of crossing over from death unto life. Some people say, I was just born in a Christian home and that's the it. There is no defining moment. But anyway, Jesus said in John 5, 24, I tell you the truth, whoever, there's a whoever is again, excluding nobody. You see, the cross is the great leveler. Oh, it's the great, everybody wants equality these days and equity these days. Well, the ability to be saved, that's a quality. Oh, that's the cross is the great leveler. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned, he has crossed over from life, from death to life. I ask you again, have you crossed over? Can you remember the time when you crossed over? I can. I remember the very, very moment when I crossed over. And the love of Christ that I received at that point in time, Paul talks about the love of Christ compels me when you understand that the love that was imparted to a sinner like me, you understand the grace of God and then it enables you to go through whatever life dishes up knowing that the love of Christ compels you to continue on doing what God has called you to do. Jesus now no, no longer. A lot of people still have Jesus in the, in the manger. Amazing, isn't it? Excuse me while I have a little drink. Is your Jesus still in the manger? Some people have Jesus still riding on a mink donkey. Some people no longer 
Jesus is no longer on the cross. He's no longer in the manger. He's no longer on the donkey. He's no longer on the cross. And he's certainly no longer in the grave. But he is now a resurrected Christ. In fact, he died on the cross so that we would have a victorious life. A lot of people in their Christian faith are still focused on the cross. When Jesus is now seated at the right hand of the Father, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age but in that which is to come, and he gave all things to the church, amen? He gave all authority to the church. But he died on the cross. Our focus now no longer on the cross, but on the risen Christ seated at the right hand of the Father. And where are you and I? We are seated with him. It's hard to comprehend, isn't it? But we are seated with him in that heavenly realm. And when you ask about the authority of the believer, in the next couple of months, I'll be preaching a three-part series on the authority of the believer to understand where we are seated with him will totally empower your life. The suffering servant is now the glorified Lamb of God who takes away and has taken away the sin of the world. There's got to be a shout of victory in the house this morning. You've got to say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. There should be a, a stirring in your spirit. Oh, I've seen you guys at the Cowboys, but surely this is a greater victory than the Cowboys winning. Amen? Amen. When going to the Holy Land, you can visit, and I've been to that place, a place where they've buried all the patriarchs at Hebron. And uh, over the cave of Machpelah is a sarcophagus of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Sarah and Leah are buried there. You can go to Bethlehem, and I've been to her, her burial place there. You can go to uh, uh, between the mountains of, uh, of blessing and cursing there, up at a place called Nablus. Uh, you can see the, the tomb and the burial place of Joseph. You can go there. The whole of Israel is written in stone. It's been preserved for thousands of years. Amen? We're talking about 4,000 years ago from the time of Abraham till now, but it's totally preserved. The sarcophagus and the building over at Hebron is the, uh, the only fully intact ancient building from ancient times. It was built by Herod and some 2,000 years old. I've been to that place. It's preserved. You can see it. It's written. It's history. It's it's solid. I want you to know that everything in this Bible can be substantiated. Amen? Everything. And you, need to, and you can have a boldness in that. But where is the grave of the man, man of the millennium? Where is the grave of the man of every millennium? Where is it? Nobody really knows. I've been to the garden tomb and, a, and it looks like it could possibly be the site. There's another massive big church and they say it's in that site. And people line up for hours to look at a little hole about this big in the ground. And uh, it's a great tourist trade, amen? But the man in the millennium, you really can't find his grave. Let's go to Luke uh, 24, 1 to 6. And uh, it's good to ref uh, reference these scriptures so, so you know for yourself. I'll read these couple of verses. Now on the first day of the week, this is Luke chapter 24. Now on the first day of the week... Very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Oh, it's beautiful, isn't it? The stone is rolled away. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. 
Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise again. It's a great message. And this is the bedrock of the Christian faith. It is the absolute Christianity 101. And so, a God that is still in the business of raising the dead, oh, he is. He's still in the business of healing the sick and restoring hope. Do you need any hope today? Is there sickness in your body? The Bible tells me that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Restoring purpose to a generation that is apparently has everything, yet still finding itself poor and wretched and naked and even more vulnerable. There is no generation like this generation who self-harms and, and takes their own life like this very generation. How can we, in the midst of such prosperity and abundance, when I was raised as a boy, when we had a chicken, of a family of seven, we got three meals out of it. Today we eat half a chicken when we get home from school. That's just the eldest son. What's the risk? Eat. We don't care. We just go and get another chicken. Amazing abundance that we live in, don't we? Amazing abundance. When we were as a boy, we had a, a two or three bedroom home. Five kids were raised in it. That was a small family, really. You had one PowerPoint in a room. That was all. But now you need about four. And then you need all these packs put on there because you've got, the, you've got this and you've got that. You've got the iPhone. You've got the iPad. You've got I, me and mine to plug in. And uh, we've never had so much abundance, yet this generation kills itself more than any other generation. Why is that? Oh, it's, it's terrible, isn't it? It's back to the Bible or back to the jungle. That's really what it's all about. I say, come back to Jesus. Come back to Jesus today. As we come together in faith, I say, let's place the cross of Jesus and his resurrection center stage and in this city. Proclaim the gospel. Do it with boldness because it's, it's what can transform your life and what can transform your family and what can transform this community. The transformation of the human heart is not a work of legislation. People say, oh, let the government do something about that. But the work of the human heart is not a work of legislation. It's not the work of law enforcement agencies. Open heart surgery is ultimately done by, not even done by the medical profession. It is a divine work of God, amen? It is a divine work of God. Open heart surgery. Christ loved us before we loved him, but it is the divine work of God on the souls of men through the power of the cross and the resurrection life that can only Jesus give. As I said before, that love that held Christ to the cross is the same love that holds your life today. You're uncertain about your future? Put your hands in the man who holds your future, amen? He's got the whole world in his hands. It was a great song by Louis Armstrong. Remember that one? He's got the whole world in his hands. Remember that one? Louis Armstrong in that really, really husky voice. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got you and me, brother, in his hands. He's got you and me, brother, in his hands. He's got you and me, brother, in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. Amen. Oh, there's a, didn't know I could sing, did you? Now you know I can't sing. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. I couldn't help myself. It's good news, isn't it? It's good news. Oh, how Jesus loves you. He loves your family so immensely, so intensely. In the imperfections of life, and I've got plenty of that myself, 
if you've come here to look for perfection, you're not going to find it. Because I'm the, I'm the bloke with the microphone, so that's a great way to start. But we look to him who perfects all, amen? And we see each other. I'm going to preach it one day in the next, in the next few months, how we see each other through the blood of the cross. When you look at your brother and sister through the blood of the cross, you'll see a perfection in him. Take away those lenses of the blood and you'll see fallen humanity. But under the blood, we look at each other through the blood. Amen? We look at each other through the blood. In John's Gospel, Jesus describes himself seven distinct attributes. And, the, and each of them is a progressive revelation of God. And when you understand, when you read the Bible, it's a progressive revelation of God. Amen? In the beginning, in the, it says, Bereshit bara Elohim. In beginning, God. That's creator God. Bara bara in the very first sentence. Creator God. He revealed himself as to, to us as Elohim. It's almost a plural form. Elohim. Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Even in the first sentence of the Bible. But then he reveals himself as the healer. And he, rece- uh, he reveals himself as the provider. And it's a progressive revelation of God. And the New Testament is the progressive revelation of God in the person of Jesus Christ. Amen? And so in John's gospel, we see that uh, in John 6, he says, Jesus said, I am the bread of life, the most basic of all provision of life. In John 8, he says, I am the light of the world. Oh, it's progressive. I am the door of the sheep. And when they put the blood on the doorpost and the lintels, it spells the chet in the, the eighth letter of the Hebrew letter uh, the, of the alphabet. And that uh, is a picture of the door itself. And in John 10, 7, 9, I am the door of the sheep. In John 10, 11 and 14, I am the good shepherd of the sheep. What about this one? John eleven twenty five. I am the resurrection of the life. Why did he say it at that time? Because Lazarus, he just said, come forth. And then he says, I am the resurrection of the life. I am the way, the truth and the life. John 14, 6. And I am the true vine, as you know, in John 15. Oh, it's a good message. But in the midst of the tumultuous chapter of John chapter 11, Jesus spending time with that family that Jesus loved with Bethany, in Bethany at Mary and Martha's home, and they were beside themselves with, Je- with grief. And, Je- and Jesus declares himself before he raised Lazarus from the dead. He says, I am. Sounds like his father speaking, isn't it? I am who I am, said God, eh? Yeah, 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 yeah. I am the resurrection and the life. And before commanding Lazarus come forth, Lazarus, four days dead, was raised again to life. Four days dead. He stinketh, said the old, the old King James. He stinketh. Don't open the tomb. He stinketh. God doesn't care how long dead your situation may be. How long dead are some things in your life. When you're grieving in the midnight hour and groaning and you think, oh, how I would have done it differently, how I would have said it differently, how I wish that this could be restored, how I pray that this could have turned out better. But Jesus is still the resurrection and the life. How long is your situation? He is still saying, come forth. And the Holy Spirit, as he brooded, the Holy Spirit was brooding over the waters of creation, waiting for the word to be spoken. Come forth. Light, come forth. Let there be light. But Jesus said regarding Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth. 
The Holy Ghost, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, was the same power that raised Lazarus. What could God do through the power of his Holy Spirit in a situation that you've been longing, that you've been praying for? Amen. You can speak the life of God over that dead situation. I encourage you to do it today. Amen. Is some dead situations around you? Lazarus, come forth to the dead church. Jesus is calling for revival, amen? To the broken relationships, Jesus is the one who takes away the dividing wall of separation. For financial ruin, Deuteronomy 18.8 says, Remember it is the Lord your God who gives you the ability or the power to get wealth. Perhaps the taste of past fading victories and the loss of strength of youth. Hey David, we're puffing away out there looking for the strength of youth while we're cutting down some of these trees. Oh, there's victories there though, isn't there, in the person of Jesus Christ. God imparts strength to live victoriously for you today. There is a victory. You know, sometimes we, we think some of us have been baptised in lemon juice. <laughs> and we go around and we look like a face like burnt toast. <laughs> but there should be a joy in our Christian walk, amen? A victorious about the way we walk. I've noticed that people who walk with purpose, other people will want to walk with you. People who have lost vision for their own lives will look around and look for someone who has a vision, amen? And so that's why we want to gather people. We want to provide a vision that Jesus is Lord of Lords and King of Kings to this region, amen? I pray that you saddle up alongside of us. Come alongside of us. And we want to see and believe. Collective believing is a powerful thing. Collective building, uh, believing. God imparts strength to wayward sons and daughters who are living for the earth. He calls the prodigals home. There's resurrection life for your wayward families. Amen? There's resurrection life for them. To brokenness and strife, God releases abundant life. The Bible says that the desert blooms again. That which was blooming before can bloom again. I pray and I speak that over your life today. I speak that over your life today. The desert blooms again. The desert blooms again. Yes, there is victory in Jesus. God built an entire nation from the wombs, from the womb of three generations of barren women. Isn't that amazing? Three generations of barren woman, women, and God said, I'm going to build me a nation out of that. What can he do with your life today? Out of the barrenness of our lives, the Bible says that the desert blooms again. And the cross, an instrument of death. Oh, isn't this, isn't this just in the devil's nose? Becomes the symbol of resurrection life to every generation to them that believe. The instrument of death that the devil lined up for him but had been prophesied for thousands of years now becomes a symbol of hope to all the humanity. Incredible, isn't it? How God uses all for, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my ways than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Amen? Oh, it's good. It's good stuff. Jesus now himself. He is not just the giver of life. He is not just the sustainer of life. But he proves with the resurrection, he is the one who imparts life to that which is absolutely dead and buried. Amen? Not just giving life. People say, oh, well, giving life, well, that's, that's relatively simple. It's relatively simple in the, eye, in the eyes of looking at something that is dead. As Ezekiel, 
Ezekiel 36 and 37, and he spoke to those, and God said, speak to those bones. And there was a rattling and a noise in the valley, and those bones began to rattle. Amen. Does anybody feel a rattling in the bones this morning? Oh, there's some life coming into your life. Oh, every morning. Every morning. John 12, 24. uh, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it, if it dies, it produces much grain. Now, I know you say that's a favorite scripture of yours, Jeff, and, but I saw it in the light of the resurrection this morning. And so you and I here today are believers in and the partakers of the resurrection life, and we are the grain produced from the first fruits of Pentecost almost 2,000 years ago. You see, 2,000 years ago, there was a grain of wheat that was buried in the person of Jesus Christ. And from that produced the grain of Pentecost, first fruits, and we are descendants of spiritual Pentecost. Amen? Amen. See that scripture in the light of the resurrection. And there are situations in our life, and we're confronted like the prophet Ezekiel, and we all have dry bones and dry valleys. We've been up a few dry gullies ourselves, haven't we? That's life. But God has called us back to resurrection power. And if you can change and turn around your mind... I believe that's a big breakthrough for you. Proverbs 12, 29. In the way of righteousness is life, and in its pathway there is no death. And uh, I'm reminded myself, too, in Proverbs 18, 21, and it says, life and death are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. So you and I have a choice to make. Will I speak life into that situation, or will I add to the manure that we've already been dumping on it? And that's we can. He said, "Life and death are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit." We can begin to speak life into death situations, and that allows the Spirit of God to begin to move on our behalf. The Spirit of God is unemployed until we begin to speak life, and then, soon as you speak life, the Holy Ghost jumps into action and begins to move upon the words that you speak over those dead situations. If there's dead situations in your life, I pray, if you cannot say, my mum used to say, now, Jeffrey, if you can't say anything nice, do not say anything at all. Yes, mum. I think I need my mum around me every now and again, even now, because I still have a tendency not to speak life. I encourage you today, speak life, and speak resurrection life, amen? We all need it, and we all need to do it. 1 Corinthians 15, 55. It says, O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, Jesus. Where and who is Jesus for you today? Is he the resurrected Lord? Was he still on a cross? Or is he still in a manger? The cross is laid bare. The tomb is empty. I'd like to just close with this one scripture I've found it there late this morning about five minutes before I come to church and it's actually the benediction of the book of Hebrews and it says now may the God of peace it's in, written in Hebrews thirteen twenty. think about this too to round it all up now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, 
to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I'll just conclude right now with one other scripture in Romans. If you're going to write one scripture down, pray if you've got a pen, write this down. Make a note of it on your iPhone. But in the light of Resurrection Sunday, this is Paul speaking. I'll go Romans 8, 1 and 2, then on to verse 11. He says, and I read it in a new text last week. Now there is, there, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Many people think I've accepted Jesus Christ. So there, there is therefore now no condemnation to whatever I do. But that's not what it says. It says there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. You can bring condemnation on your life by walking in the flesh. That is your old man. But the Bible says to put to death the old man. And he says, but according to the Spirit, he says, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Fantastic scripture. These are empowering scriptures. And now is probably here one of the most empowering verses in the whole of the Bible. And it is in Romans 8.11. But if the Spirit of Him, oh, can you feel it? But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. I'll read it again. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead 2,000 years ago, the Spirit of God raised Jesus from the dead, the most powerful act in the whole of human history was when under the opposing forces of everything that hell had to came against the purposes of God. Never has there been such a centrality of opposition to the raising of Jesus from the dead. Every demon, every opposition in the whole of the universe was opposed to being Jesus raised from the dead. You think that you've got opposition, but Jesus' death, every demon in hell, every demonic thing was against Jesus being raised from the dead. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Let's stand to our feet just for one moment, if you would, please. Jesus, and then uh, Jules will lead us into a concluding worship song. But Father, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for the resurrection life that has been imparted to us, Father. And that that same Spirit, Father God, that raised Jesus from the dead has been imparted into your life, imparted into your life, imparted into your life right now. I pray, impart the Spirit of God right now in Jesus' name. The Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead, be upon your ministry, be upon your life, be upon your family, be upon your work in Parliament, be upon whatever you put your hand to in the name of Jesus. Be upon your body. Just put your hand on your body where it hurts, where you need healing. Oh, people say, oh, healing's finished, but faith hasn't finished. Believing in Jesus is not finished. Just put your hand on wherever it hurts. Jesus prayed, uh, Jules prayed for me, a monstrous headache right up the side of my skull yesterday. And two hours later, it had been plaguing me for two days. Two hours later, Jill says, how's your head? And I said, 
I hadn't thought about it since the moment that you prayed and it was gone. Didn't even think about it again. Father, in the name of Jesus, wherever people are placing their hand upon their body, I believe for the power of heaven, Father, to bring health, healing and wholeness in the name of Jesus. I've never healed anybody, but Jesus can. Jesus can. Jesus can. Are you open for Jesus to heal you today? Father, for those who have sinuses or for those who have got sore knees and sore elbows and sore joints, I pray that the oil of your Holy Ghost, Lord, would touch people's lives. I thank you, Lord, for these dear people here today. I pray bless and strengthen them. Uphold them with your righteous right hand as we rejoice in this weekend, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We give you all the glory and all the power and all the honor in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. 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 Amen.
longer bound by sin and darkness. You're living in the light of His goodness because He has given you freedom. Amen. Let's declare it.